and welcome to None of My Business. I'm Michael Jackett. This is a business podcast, but mainly it's about people and their business. It's driven by my own curiosity and passion for learning from every conversation. Clive Sher, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Michael. Glad to be here. Mate, um, again, thank you for joining me. It's, um, it's often uh, an invitation that um, comes out of nowhere for my guests because it's not like I've been doing this a very long time and it's a very well-known podcast or anything, which, um, which is kind of partly why I do it because I enjoy having these sort of conversations with people that I probably wouldn't otherwise have an opportunity to talk to, um, you know, and I really like hearing the stories of how you've, you know, people have built businesses or, you know, got themselves into leadership roles or, you know, just have a story to tell around their career and their journey. So thanks once again. Um, for those listening, uh, I'm sure that if they've got kids, they'll know of the brand and the company that you're going to talk about. Um, but do you want to just give us a few details about, you know, what the company is that you run and, uh, and your role within that company? Yeah, so um, uh, the business that I run is a business called Every Bite Counts. Um, we own the Little Bellies brand of children's food products. Um, in Australia, New Zealand, we're the largest baby and toddler snacking brand um, within, uh, you know, within the market. Um, and we've been the fastest growing brand within our space as well. So um, the brand is owned by myself and my brother, um, partners in the business. We've got seven children who aren't so young anymore yeah. uh, and it's and the brand is in its 10th year as we speak so it's a really um, a brand that we're incredibly passionate about mm. um, and and we've you know it's really been born from the heart and from our own personal experience mm. in raising our kids and the challenges we've had with finding the right foods yeah absolutely I think the passion um, the passion probably comes through in the product which is something I want to kind of chat about later and um, sure. But do you want to do you want to just give me a bit of an idea about um, what what's the lead up to get you to every bike counts? What what was your career? Where did you are you born and bred? You know, in in Sydney, or you know, have you lived elsewhere no, and done so other things? So the the accent might give it away, but <laughs> um, I was born in South Africa. Um, yep. I've been in Australia now. This is my twenty fourth year. Yeah. So if the accent hasn't disappeared by now, I don't think it's going to. Yeah. Um, I like we, it anyway, um, so hold on to it. <laughs> like, thank you. Thank you. There you go. You won a few. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually by profession an engineer, um, but my family has um, has been in the product, in product-based businesses and in development um, and, you know, sale of product style businesses for as long as I can remember. My parents were pharmacists. Um, mm. They developed products for, um, uh, you know, in the skincare and, and healthcare space. My brother's other businesses in the healthcare space um, mm. that he actively manages today. So, so we have a history of of being able to identify product opportunities and being able to then take the next step, which is identifying opportunities. Never really the hard part; it's actually doing something about it. So, yeah. um, you know, we we have a history. The the lead up to us launching the brand. Um, is my eldest nephew, my brother's eldest child, is anaphylactic to peanuts, to tree nuts, to dairy, um, mm. has um, severe um, uh, skin sensitivity, um, mm. and such as severe eczema. And food, we learned very early on um, in his life that food is a major way of controlling those factors and mm. uh, and the severity of those factors. So, um, you know, you know, 
15 years ago, plus we recognized the lack of better for you organic foods on the market. Mm. Um, and we launched an organic foods business and that subsequently transformed into an organic kids foods business about 10, 11 years ago. Mm. Um, so, you know, we've, we're very passionate about what we feed our own children and very passionate about um, what's in product because being organic is only the starting point. It's not the yeah. end point. And it's really about introducing a product that, that, that we believe is holistically better mm. um, and, and that adds value to people's lives. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's easy in the children's product space. And as you can tell, I'm passionate. So I tend to start talking, I don't stop. But in the, yeah, you know, in, in the children's product space, the one thing that I'm constantly amazed at and I, you know, I clearly identify is as a brand, you have to choose between having product integrity um, and sales. And very often you have to look at an opportunity and going, yep, that's going to sell well, but it doesn't fit with where I want to be or what I believe is, is right for children. And most brands that I see on the market will always choose sales over the product integrity side of it. But that's something we've chosen very, uh, you know, been very strict about not doing. And that is, um, you know, chasing sales over, uh, over what we believe in. Mm, yeah. What, um, just to sort of pick up on something you said there around, you know, the idea it's, there's plenty of ideas out there. It, it comes down to executing on those ideas and, you know, mm. and the journey of taking those to market is, is really where, where the success is mm. born. Um, but maybe just, just talk a little bit about putting this, you know, clearly there's a, a very strong, um, sense of purpose about why you started the brand around you know your own was it your nephew or your your kid that had my nephew your nephew nephew, um has the the food allergies but you know just there's obviously that's kind of a a bit of a a starting point but what what did it look Mm. like around you know getting you and your brother getting together and deciding that yep this is a path we want to go down we want to become a food production company um you know was there just anything that you think about reflect on around that time and yeah i mean obviously there was a catalyst being my nephew but that's really the starting point um it wasn't an overnight decision that we are starting a food business and and everything gets invested there's a lot of exploratory work that goes into it a lot of kind of identifying where we see opportunities as i mentioned we didn't start specifically in children's foods although that's where our passion was Mm -hmm. we just identified um uh, you know we identified a lack of better for you organic alternatives on market at the time. And, um, um, you know, and then we identified, you know, that there were products available internationally that we felt would do well in Australia. So um, that's where we started. But, but I think, you know, the one, you know, you need to understand the market that you're launching into. That's critical because like in a market like the U S you can launch, the most unique, innovative organic food that goes into specialty retailers, but there's enough scale to be able to say, um, you know, uh, we can make a business out of that. In Australia, um, you obviously have a large dominance among a few major retailers, Mm. and you need to identify that if your business is gonna be successful, it needs to exist in a way that um, adds value in a commercial sense to those retailers, Mm. um, because that's, that's essentially where um, you know, your avenue to market is going to be. So, so we, 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 we we're very early focused on, on, on delivering products that we could, that could exist in a mainstream environment that we believed would didn't have to be cheap. We'd be competitive and would be 
within a realistic space that yeah. met certain values that we believed in quite strongly. Mm. Um, and, 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 and there was a lot of trial and error in the early days. We launched a lot of product that, um, that, 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 that was, you know, had a purpose and, and we felt was good and didn't work. Um, yeah. but, but allowed us to really understand. So the success of the business is, is certainly not an overnight success. There's mm. been a lot of trial and error, particularly in the early days. Yeah. Um, but as we, as the business evolved and our passion, as I mentioned, was always in children's foods, we early, we identified within the process that actually the opportunity was within children's foods. And, and part of that's probably because that's where our passion was. Mm. But the fact is that's where our passion is, is also where other people's passion is. You know, mm. obviously people are probably less discerning about what they feed themselves than compared to what they feed their children. Mm. And, um, and so that, you know, it's, it's, it, uh, it certainly wasn't an overnight decision. You know, we're launching a business and this is how we're going to do it. There was mm. many long, um, hills to climb and, yeah. and uh, valleys to climb out of. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and the business was had eventually developed from there. Yeah, I, I really am fascinated, partly because, you know, I'm in this stage of life where I'm, you know, looking at what the future looks like and would love to be, um, you know, let's face it, I'd love to create my own product or and, and run my own business and, you know, at scale and, you know, something I've thought about a lot and, you know, is around the, is getting the the combination of values and purpose, the mix right with the commercial value or the commercial side of the business, you know? And, and so I just, I just, I just find these conversations really fascinating is, you know, there's, there's, there's often the starting point is I'm passionate about this. Hopefully this is where the starting point is. I'm passionate yeah. about this. This means something to me as an individual and I can see through either other markets that it's working over there or through, you know, just talking to people and, and the, and my own experience that it's going to resonate with a broader audience. So I'm going to back this and, and put, put myself behind it and really give it a go. Um, but then there's the whole commercial side of that, like engaging with retailers and understanding the market and, you know, research and development. And then, you know, the, you know, the trial and error and, um, you know, like when did you, when did you start to engage, when did you start to engage with retailers and, and look at that, you know, the, the broader market side of things? Um, we engaged with retailers pretty early on in the process. Um, when we launched our business, um, we recognized the fact that we didn't have a business without um, retail partnerships. And so mm. we've always taken the approach that there's no point in us launching a product and going to retailers second, because if those products don't meet what the retailer is looking for or a format that meets with the retailer, then you're back to square one. So mm. we've always engaged and worked very closely with our retail partners. We've always, even from the early days when we launched our organic food business, I remember sitting in front of a health food buyer some 15 years ago with 20 products in front of me talking about the point of difference of each. Um, and she got excited about the opportunity and then engaged to launch a number of them with us. And that was the catalyst for us launching the business. So I think it's important to a understand, um, you know, I, I see a lot of people that launch a product first and then figure out where it goes after. And I think, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you need to know where it's going to be sold, how it's going to be sold and make sure that the commercial aspects, everything from the size of the pack to the format to what box it's shipped in yeah. meets their requirements because otherwise, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of boxes to tick 
and, uh, and so, but it's not to say that you have to bend to will to, to do exactly what they want. I think it, it's finding that opportunity and making sure that it resonates. Um, you know, that's really from the commercial side. You're, you know, you know, you can get a good sense from people around you and from yourself and from from those you trust as to what their thoughts are. And if people, if people are honest with you, they'll be honest with you. And mm. sometimes it hurts. Yeah. Uh, but then also there are people out there that have significant experience and we've been blessed to have strong partners um, that we work with. We're a lean, very lean business model. We've got a lot of outsourced partners who we trust and value their experience um, significantly. Mm. Um, and, and, and we look to them, you know, to, for guidance and for help and for collab collaboration. So I think it's understanding that A, you're not in it alone, that B, you're not expected to know everything um and see that you know you you need to find the right people to work with mm. i did think of that came across my mind is how your team is set up you know what sort of structure do you yeah. need and you mentioned that you're a lean team um what does that look what does that look like you know do you yeah well um i think you'd be pretty surprised how lean our team can be but yeah. um so we chose a number of years ago um to outsource anything where we didn't directly add a lot of value so um you know so in in you know our business and our direct company is really involved in product development brand development um and export market development so now we sell in the us we sell in canada we sell in a number of other markets around the world uh, but in australia we decided to partner with a distribution partner who we are very close to have added significant value to our businesses have been a you know an incredible partner mm. a because it's a very transparent collaborative relationship and b because they've got an incredible skill set that you know in terms of doing day-to-day -day sales day-to-day -day logistics management day-to-day -day brand management um they're doing that already for a number of their businesses and so we managed we decided to outsource that component and that allowed us to free up to add value where we can yeah. um, and be more strategic in the in our day-to-day -day action Mm. So, you know, um, our business here is because we've got, my brother's got the healthcare business, we've got a number of shared staff around, um, you know, certain aspects, um, you know, being customer service or graphic design or, yeah. or, um, or back office. But then, you know, we've got a very lean sales and marketing team that is uh, independent of each company. Um, and, and that's why we've chosen to run the business. So it, it means that we add value. Right. I, I, I'm sure that in a time like this, you know, where strategies are being thrown to the wall and maybe not, not for you guys, cause I think you guys are you're doing pretty well and especially being in grocery, which is a category that's killing it anyway, <laughs> but you know, well, yes or no. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, I, yeah. well, I, my point is, I think that brands that are, you know, resource heavy, I think would love to be more, you know, would have loved to have been more lean mm. th going through this experience. Um, you know, I certainly, I, I've certainly come, I've been in a mix of businesses over my career from just, you know, me and a, me and another guy sort of doing everything through to, you know, the last company I was in, there was over a thousand staff, I think. And, you know, like you just, they're very different, um, they're very different working models and there's very different levels of accountability. And, um, you know, you, you certainly you know, being lean, there's a lot to be said for running a lean ship and not having too much fat around, you know, like extra people just because, you know, you want, you want to have more people. Yeah. 
Well, I think you, I think it moved, you moved from being directly involved in the business to being an HR manager because mm. you are directing people rather than doing the business or doing the work yourself. And there's, mm. there's definitely something to be said for hiring the right people and having a great team. And we're very fortunate to have that around us. But at the same time, we just recognized early on that, you know, we've got a business to, um, you know, we know recognizing where your value add is, recognizing yeah. where the other, the other um, avenues you're working in are pure service um, and could be done by someone else. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding that, you know, if, you, if you're too distracted by doing a lot of those service exercises, then you don't have time to add value. And so, mm. you know, one plus one doesn't have to equal two. Sometimes it equals three. So mm, yeah. you know, we identified that early on and it's worked very well for us. How do you find being, you know, the leader of this business when um, I suppose what I'm asking here is that there, there is, you know, describing it as a lean operation means that you're outsource a lot and you've got a lot of external suppliers that feed into what you do. So you've got a, you've got um, a smaller team of direct reports and then you've, then you've got to manage a lot of suppliers. Have you, have you worked in that, you know, prior to this, um, company have you worked in that environment before or is there a difference that you can kind of look at and sort of say it's different managing your own internal staff and the leadership style that you have to have versus managing external suppliers and making sure they're all working together and you're expecting of, of them you know and you can expect of them a lot well i think we've some of our external suppliers we've worked with for many many years so mm. we've got a long history with them um, we have the ability to scale up and scale down with them as we need and as our volume of work changes. You know, you don't have a fixed resource that's, that, that's overstressed at one time and underutilized at another. So, you know, the external suppliers that we have, um, you know, generally have been around for a while. Um, mm. But even then, it's, not, it's, it's about having strategic partnerships um, yeah. and about making sure that, you know, again, you're not just looking for opportunities to to tick a box, you're actually using people as you need them. Um, mm. So, no, I can't say that I've been in a situation where I've been in a resource-heavy business that I've managed. You know, this business has been, uh, you know, 15 years in the making, so it's been the majority of my my working career. Mm. Um, but it's, uh, but I have been in a situation where we were eight years ago in a full-service distribution model. Yeah. And what we found at that time was we were more resource-intensive for a smaller business. We found that um, we spent, you know, problem, you know, the day-to-day -day challenges were fixing day-to-day -day problems, not adding long-term value. Mm. And so what we really chose to do was say, well, hold on. Um, if this business is going to scale up, we need to be smarter in how we do things. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's when we made the decision to resource out. And that's been, it's been very successful for us. I'm not saying it's necessary for everyone, but for us, it's definitely the right model. Mm, great. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the product development process. You know, it's an interesting product to, you know, you, your, your consumer isn't your shopper, you know, and, and, you know, so you, you develop product for a, for a consumer that you don't necessarily have those conversations around testing and, or maybe you do. I'd, I'd just be interested to sort of understand that process as a children's food product, how you go about developing developing new product and yeah so um you know there's no degree in i mean there are degree in child children's uh, you know in child nutrition etc that you can do but but really our experience and our knowledge of the category has been 
through being knee deep in the category for so many years and mm. and there's nothing quite like um you know having your ear close to the ground and understanding market trends so you know we've had uh, you know our ear close to the ground and and have had a very close understanding of what's happening not just locally but internationally for well over a decade now um and we've built up a significant amount of knowledge around what is considered best in class um you know for our style of product and we clearly recognize that and clearly identify where other brands or other brands don't have the same kind of understanding um, mm. you know without going into that because i don't want to disparage anyone else um it's really around um you know we have strong manufacturing partners who do um you know our style of product uh, in a number of different markets for other principles we have strong um technical partners who've had experience in this area um and we've um you know we utilize those resources very well so you know we we're constantly looking to improve what we do we're constantly looking to improve um what's in the market and um you know when we launched little bellies um the products on the market at the time were what are, what 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 we call pseudo confectionery mm. lots of products with high sugar intense flavors um products that were mini versions of adult products that were on market with that uh, in in a category that was declining um mm. because there just wasn't relevant products in space that that parents truly trusted mm. so you know when we go through the process i mentioned earlier about product integrity it's really important to understand your line in the sand and what you're not willing to cross because you know your entire reputation your credibility among consumers is built you know on them being able to look at a product and and, and know that they can trust it and i can show you many examples of where brands don't hold to the same standard um but uh, but our process is really about looking at how we can expand a young child's um choice their variety their experience yeah. so you know whether it be on flavor texture um shape occasion age um appropriateness um so for example we just launched our range of baby bowls in market i'm not sure if you're familiar with the product but it's mm. uh it's been in market for 3 weeks now um we've spent about 3 to 4 years developing an alternative we've always been in baby snacking and we've wanted to enter the puree sector yeah but we weren't going to enter the puree sector until unless we felt we could do something that was significantly better for consumers mm. so um you know we looked at the current format on shelf on, on shelf and we felt yes it's been a really convenient format that's done very well it's helped industry because it's a, a it's a it's a very efficient format to pack in it's helped parents because it's convenient to carry but the per- the only stakeholder that doesn't help is the child itself because mm. they are and I'm talking specifically about the pouch format because they're sucking on purees a lot of the flavor gets delivered to the back of the mouth they hardly even taste it they never see the food they're eating mm. in fact they associate the food they're eating with the color of the packaging and they become fixated on packaging rather than food yeah and so we and then beyond that is the sustainable and environmental impact of products that have to enter landfill mm. so when we chose to develop a format we really were focused on offering something that was going to be sustainable recyclable and or reusable which which our bowls are a product that children could see we call it mindful eating they actually see smell you know experience and re, you know resonate with the food itself mm. that encourages spoon feeding encourages interaction between child and mother so there's a whole bunch of things that we look at around you know how is this product going to benefit child what what makes it different on market 
how is it going to expand their sensory experience? Um, you know, very often young children become fixated and, you know, they become, you know, they develop what's called fussy eater syndrome, where they are fixated on certain products and that's all they want to eat. Mm. And a lot of the time, you know, our, you know, we, we understand that once they're exposed and they have the ability to try a variety of foods at an early age, that, you know, expands their willingness to accept, uh, you know, new products, uh, expands even things down to vocabulary, the, you know, the ability to understand acceptance of new textures, flavors. Um, and so it's critical at that early age to get the, um, you know, to get the product mix right. And so there's, there's a world of opportunity to, to really expand the experiences of a young child. Do you think it's an education thing that, um, you know, consumers haven't demanded more of the food produ producers, you know, like you sort of, as you sort of said before, when you enter the category, you sort of called them pseudo confectionery. It's a pseudo confectionery category which is totally right. Like I think of the cereals out there and the sort of food that you, you know, that you can, you can feed to your kids if you, if you want to, you know, I, there's, I, look, there's a lot going on and part of it's around, you know, revenue and, and, and dollars and part of it's, you know, that's what I'm wondering. Is it around education that the consumers aren't edu demanding more and, and making better decisions? Is it around the retailers, you know, like are they having well, a big influence? I, well, I think, that's a tough question because, you know, from a consumer perspective, a lot of the time you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and so, you know, it's um, very hard to demand something that you don't know should exist. Um, there are also limits in how you can push boundaries sometimes to be commercially viable on shelf. And, and sometimes you have to compete with products from a commercial perspective that, that don't have the credibility or the health credentials that you want to deliver. And it becomes very, very difficult. But mm. what we do see, though, is that particularly the millennial shopper, a millennial parent, um, is very engaged with brands and chooses brands very strategically in terms of what fits with their lifestyle and with their values. Yeah. And, 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 and that's where, really where, where we've, we've, we've been able to deliver a huge um, uh, kind of engagement, loyalty factor, and, and being able to really maintain a certain value that um you know that, that builds the trust mm. so you know it's it, it's hard to say that consumers aren't demanding enough i think i think consumers want something but you're limited to to what's available the reason um, I and there's definitely yeah sorry no no the reason why i say that just quickly to jump in is we've been what my wife and i've been watching this baby's documentary series on netflix i'm not sure if you've seen it but no, um, no. oh i highly recommend it it is absolutely mind-opening in terms of you know this it's, it's all about obviously it's all about babies but specifically it's around this lack of understanding that we as humans and adults understand around what they actually do and don't know you know so they do all of these tests around awareness and um you know, they, they cover off all the bases, you know, what steps and movement and then sleep and then, you know, e eating and all that sort of stuff. But it's a fascinating, it's, it just, it throws into perspective this, this idea of education that we really don't know a lot about what's, un, what's literally in front of us and our own kids. Um, and that's why I'm just sort of fascinated around the dynamic within this commercial world of food. Um, if, if it's an education thing that's just because we're not even as adults you know we're not even great with well, our own health 
Well, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting point that, and I think, you know, take the baby food category where we operate at the moment. Um, that's, that's an area where parents walk down the aisle and they rightly expect that all the products that are suitable, that are sold in that aisle are acceptable for young children and are going to benefit their children. But that's yeah. not the case. And there's yeah. a lot of products on shelf that, that are pseudo-confectionery, mm. that are high in sugar. And so, you know, one of our principles when we look at feeding young children, as an example, is... You know, we recognize the fact that a young child who's coming with formula, of breast milk, of, um, you know, rice cereal, uh, has a very sensitive palate. They've never really been exposed to significant flavors. So any kind of flavor is, is significant. So as a brand, we choose never to introduce sugar, never salt, never even added flavors because the intensity is quite high. Mm-hmm. Once you introduce a child to that level of, um, to a certain amount of flavor, that becomes the baseline. That becomes the expectation. You can't go back from that expectation. So you then can't really introduce a bland product. So our entire brand is built on the premise of slowly allowing a, pa- a child to evolve as, the, as they grow older through introduction of light and subtle flavors through ev- evolving that palate as they grow. And that's one, of the, that's one of the principles we have around our product development. The others around self-feeding, around texture, around shape, around, mm. um, around format. But, you know, I truly believe that long-term, um, you know, health issues start at an early age. I mm. truly believe that um, a young child that's exposed to high sugar, high salt, high flavor, and that becomes what they expect day to day, leads into what their expectation is as they grow older, and leads into, um, you know, a lot of of the health issues that we see today out among among children. So. Mm-hmm. You know, as a business, we've been very principled around what we introduce and how we introduce it, and, mm-hmm. and I think that gets recognised. You know, so you you, yeah. you do see a lot of biz, a lot of new brands that are are pushing the envelope there get recognised. Unfortunately, probably not as many as as they should be. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we still today see see brands bringing products into the baby aisle that are very highly sugared, that are very highly flavoured, and it just shocks me that they still make it onto the market. But as a consumer, if you're walking down that baby food aisle, your expectation is a new product on market. You know, I'm sure someone's vetted this product. I'm sure yeah. it should be okay. Yeah. You know, and not everyone's able to read a label and to really understand the intricacies of a nutritional label and an ingredients label and understand mm. the impact it has. Mm. Um, so I think personally, yes, the consumers need to take some responsibility for, for, for what they buy and what they demand. But at mm. the same time, I believe manufacturers have a very important role to play. Absolutely. In, in what they deliver into certain categories. And the retailers, you know, I can't help. I keep, it keeps just coming into my head, you know, the role of the retailer in this too, you know, and how, yeah. how open they are. I'd be interested to get your thoughts on how, you know, how susceptible they are to looking for these alternatives that are better, you know, does, or are they... Are they still caught on margins and are they still, you know? Uh, listen, listen, obviously, every, you know, and that's one thing we also recognize very clearly. I mentioned it earlier that a retailer has certain criteria. They've got certain KPIs, um, both on the commercial side and, and, and not so much commercial side sometimes, but they have to meet those KPIs. And that's fair enough. You know, you can't, ex- you know, the retailers aren't in it for the love of, uh, the love of the community. Yes, they have a community responsibility, but they need to deliver certain uh, certain outcomes, and we recognise that. So, we go in with eyes wide open, and mm-hmm. but but we make sure that the products we develop offer better for you. Yeah. Um. 
you know, yes, I believe that they should, you know, there is a role as being the gatekeeper of the category which, which comes into it um, and that has an impact. But, um, but yeah, I think it's a balancing act. You know, a lot of the time um, retailers get enticed by some rather large um, investments that can made into brands on shelf. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to say no, say, say no to that. But, you know, uh, it's a balancing act. We, we definitely have seen a significant push by the retailers to improve offer on shelf. And I, I think there's a lot of credit to be, to be played in that fashion as well is the quality of product over the last 10 years has, has improved dramatically. Yeah. Um, it could still improve further. Um, but you know, a good example, I'm constantly fascinated. I don't know if you've ever noticed, I don't know if you have young kids, Michael, but the number of custards on the shelf within, um, Coles and Willie's for babies. Now I don't understand why there is a custard for shelf, not just number, but there is the plethora of custards on shelf. I had an international supplier here who we went to visit the shelves and had a look and he was completely fascinated by the fact that we had a, an A custard, let alone custards. But that's one of the, you know, that's a product that is, you know, it, you know that that exists. It's something that we would never do, mm. but it exists. So, mm. you know, it, it is a balancing act for the retailers. Um, yeah. But I think it's a combination of suppliers improving what they do, yeah. you know, improving the credentials of certain products, and the retailers, you know, need to address what consumers are buying. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, consumers walk out with the product, so. I think it's yeah totally that's again it's it's so much around I think you know that comment around in the last 10 years this quality of the product has increased I would also say that the education level of the consumer has increased you know it's like technology the advances are you know they're you know they they, they're not like it's not a linear learning sort of pattern it's you know it's compounding and 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 you know it gets more and more and I think you know, the, the better that we are, the more education we, and it plays into the whole ecological thing, the whole planet thing, you know, like the more educated we are, I think the more, the better decisions we make, which forces suppliers and retailers to, you know, join forces to bring those products to shelf that we're expecting as a consumer. Um, just on the manufacturing side of things, as you grow, um, how are you, are you, do you manufacture in Australia or, is it, or have you had to move? Do you still do that? No, we, we manufacture majority of our products um, in Europe. Yeah. Um, and the main challenge we've had, um, we have approached and we are, we do, we have tried to work with a number of Australian manufacturers. The key challenge we have is around organic ingredient supply. Even if we can produce locally, majority of the organic ingredients that we would need to use are imported and we've struggled to, identify a strong supply chain for organic ingredients in Australia that provides us security of quality and a competitive ingredient cost that would make sense. Our suppliers that we work with in Europe, A, are very experienced in the production of children's food. So we get a a certain quality standard that's exceptional. In Europe, um, they actually have what's called a baby grade standard. So there's conventional food, there's organic foods, and then there's baby grade, which um, you know, which guarantees a much lower level of contaminant levels in ingredients that are suitable for baby. And that gives us, you know, all of our products meet that baby grade standard, which is significantly different to products manufactured locally. Yeah. But the most important reason that, you know, that we do it is because our suppliers have very strong competitive supply chain for organic ingredients with exceptional quality standards. Yeah. that we just couldn't rep- re- replicate locally. And, and unfortunately, m- most of the time, or all the time that we go and 
we talk to local suppliers because we'd love to produce locally. Mm. The number one comment that comes back is if you can buy the ingredients and you can supply the ingredients, then we'd love to produce it. And unfortunately, mm. it's not something that we've been able to um, to overcome just yet. Yeah, look, I think it's one of those scale things too. You know, often even if companies start manufacturing locally, they, you know, naturally when you want to grow and you want to push into other continents and regions, you're forced to look at those, taking the manufacturing localized within those regions anyway. So, but the organic yeah. produce is a whole other world, you know, it's a whole other thing. It is. It has been a challenge. It's true. Yeah. Um, so if you were to sort of, I mean, we've sort of covered this, but I just had a note here, just the formula for success. You know, if you were to synthesize what you think it was, you know, do you think it's, as I said, we sort of covered it in terms of the, the lean nature of the business that's worked for you, may not work for others. It's, you know, the passion and the drive and the philosophy behind the brand. But is there anything else that you think of that sort of led to you being able to have this success and, and grow and continue to grow? Um, I think it's, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's a combination, really. There isn't one factor that I think has really been the key. I think we, as you mentioned, and as we, you know, I think it's, it's quite clear, very passionate about what we do, very mm -hmm. passionate about the positive influence that our brand and our products have for young children and their first kind of foray into foods. And I'm very proud of that impact that it's had. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's a combination of the right partnerships, the right model that allows you to continue to add value. I think it's very easy as a business owner to get stuck in a cycle of, you know, turning the day-to-day -day wheel, but not actually growing the business. And we did have that. We did reach a ceiling when we had the business, you know, the, um, you know, we did everything ourselves and we quickly recognized we weren't making the smartest decisions because we mm. were too preoccupied with day-to-day. -day. So I think it's really a combination. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, the number one thing that's really held us above and beyond because there's a number of brands in our space is our commitment to the way we introduce young products it's the commitment to every aspect of how our products are developed and and the benefit that they provide mm. um and you know i still see it still amazes me how other brands introduce products and i just look at it and i don't understand like, mm. where did the thought process come from from introducing a product for the good and the bad like you know mm. we recognize the fact that um, in Australia, you can have the healthiest product in the world, but if it doesn't have the taste attribute and, you know, the, it doesn't deliver from an organ organoleptic perspective, then it's unlikely to see, succeed in the mainstream environment. Mm. Um, but on the flip side, you can have a product that has, you know, incredible taste because it's got high sugar and, and but then you, you don't have that authenticity and you don't have that, you know, the, the trust of parents as you build your brand. So it's really about finding that sweet spot where you add value. Um, you know, we were the first brand to really drive the baby and toddler snacking category and really add value to that category and bring product integrity into it. Um, and so we, we've held that position. Um, whereas, you know, and I think that's what really comes what are you doing different in market? What are you adding value to? If you're just developing a me too product you may be passionate about it, but how are you really going to stand out and, and where are you going to have a point of difference? And I think that's what's key is, is making sure that you have your relevance, you have your point of, you have your point of difference, um, but you maintain your integrity at the same time. Yeah.
Um, yeah, there's so so much to be said, isn't there, for building a strength, having a strong brand, but then being able to maintain that, you know, as because there'd be a list as long as our arms of people that are wanting to chip away, you know, from small startups mm. to major manufacturers, you know, that would want to chip away at the category. And, you know, there's, I think, I think what I'm thinking of there is, you know, it's managing that growth pattern too, you know, not trying to grow too quickly and just release product for the sake of it, as you've just explained, mm. you know, it's so important because it just makes sure your priorities are straight. You know, your priorities are right about why you're releasing and why you're growing. Talking about growth, what, what are the, what are the plans? What are the, have you got sort of plans? To, I know you're um, moving into new markets, but. Yeah. Any- so, you know, for us, um, you know, there's always opportunity to expand our product offering baby and toddler snacking. The wet food area is a really exciting development for us. That is, you know, the puree area because um, it's just an area we feel there's a huge opportunity to do so, to do something better. Um, and so, you know, that's a, hopefully a great opportunity. We'd like to expand our older children's product segment and it's a focus for us, you know, doing better for you school and lunchbox snacking. Um, and then in, internationally, I mean, we launched in the US um, just over 12 months ago. And we've had the joy of riding the COVID wave with try, trying to launch a brand new brand in, a, in the world's biggest market. Yeah. But we've managed to achieve um, distribution in uh, more than double the number of stores we have in Australia and Zealand in just over 12 months. Um, right. We've launched in Canada in that time as well. Um, and we have distribution in about eight other markets. Having said that, we're very strategic in where we're launching. So mm-hmm. we're not looking to necessarily expand into 40 markets overnight. We're very strategic in where our resources go and, and, and that if you want to build a business and build a market, you need to be focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've chosen a, a few key markets that we're really focused on at the moment um, and really looking to make the most of that opportunity before we, you know, we take the next step. So yeah. it's, it's exciting. It's a really fascinating business and story. I think it, I, I personally have a real, you know, it's, I feel like there's just an, the, an onslaught of environmental and health conscious and, you know, like just better for the planet and, and better for the humans kind of information and education coming through at the moment. It's probably, you know, it's probably no coincidence, but um, I, it's, it's a really, it's a real passion of mine to sort of find the purpose in what I do every day in, in a, in a job and a work sense um, that has an impact, you know, and I, and I, I kind of envy a little bit your product because, you know, you're doing a really good thing because I'm a, I'm a customer and I really understand, I understand the value of the product and, you know, it's, I, I um, I'm trying to find that myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, but again, as I, I think, as I said, mentioned before, it's not an overnight thing and that, uh-huh. that, that you know, and I feel, for, and I don't get me wrong, we've got competitors who we compete with that, um, that, you know, they do look to chip away at what we do. Mm. Um, some of them are trying to do the right thing. Others, not so much. Yeah. Um, but I do feel sorry for those that are trying to do the right thing, not because they're competing with us. I don't have a, a big enough ego to, 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 to really say that, but because yeah. I can identify that what they're launching are not unique products or what they're yeah. launching doesn't, doesn't allow them to build their own story. Mm. You know, they're trying to steal market share, trying to, from an already established category, very, very difficult to do. Mm. And so, you know, that's why I say you, you really need to identify where your point of difference, where your opportunity is. The brands that, that simply think they can come in 
and well, that's a growing market. We want to develop a few products and, and have a bit of that. Well, okay, yeah. you might get a little bit of that, but you're never going to grow a significant, yeah. you know, unless you're doing something significantly better mm. and then significantly, um, uh, you know, that connects or engages in a better way, you're never going to establish a meaningful business. And mm. so I, I think that's really the, the big thing is saying, well, what do, where do you, where do you stand out and where mm. do you, I mean, I had a discussion at 6.30 this morning with a US retailer mm. and, um, and that was the thing they said to us, you've got to tell us where your point of difference is. You know, you've yeah. got to show us why are you different to what's on market? And mm. um, we found a lot of people chasing us and all they're looking to do is launch our products in a different flavor or, or you know, mm. not and how do you go? How do you go about that with the, when the retailers put that on you, and they say, give us the business case to take to stock and sell your product. You know, do you point to existing markets or success or do you? Yes. And that, yes, we do. Exactly. So yeah. a, we're not, I'll give you a perfect example. The UK is one of the most um, mature markets for our type of products. It's got an incredible selection of products in the baby and toddler food space. Mm. And while I think we could add some value, we definitely wouldn't be completely unique in that segment. Mm. Take me to the US and I see an outdated category that has products that have lost relevance and don't really, haven't really adapted to meet the modern, um, the modern um, millennial. And, and the perfect, and the reason why um, that is the case is 10 years ago when we launched the brand, the US was a pioneer in our category. There was a couple of brands that were incredibly strong. We looked to those brands for inspiration and we said, wow, we want to do what they're doing. We want to do it in Australia. Mm. Um, seven years ago, the two really entrepreneurial brands got bought up by multinationals. Um, and since they got bought up by multinationals, very little has changed in their portfolio. The portfolios are bigger and brighter, mm. but they really have not added, done any major innovation or category development. Um, mm. So when we entered the US a year and a half ago, I looked at a, I looked at a category that had almost been at a standstill in the last eight years that hasn't really evolved to meet the consumer needs. And now all of a sudden the range we've developed is superior. Yeah. So we're entering a category, but if I was going into the UK, I'd be looking at it saying, well, where's my point of difference? Where's my value add? Mm. Yes. Maybe I could get some business here, but I'm really going to have to fight hard for that. Yeah. You know, we went into the U S and one of the first retailers that, that took us on board was Walmart, the world's biggest retailer because mm. of the fact that, um, they recognized us doing something that was quite unique. Mm. Uh, and so to be able to achieve distribution in 5,000 stores, um, you know, double what we have locally in Australia and New Zealand combined um, over probably one of the most difficult trading years um, ever yeah. um, is, is a testament to the fact that we've identified a unique point of difference. We believe we can add value, but I don't want, I never want to enter a category and be me too. It yeah. doesn't interest me. Right? Yeah. Just, no, you know, you're not adding any value. You're just, you know, and that and that's where the the, the difference really comes in. Yeah, yeah. What's the point of difference? Yeah, it's got to feel right. Mm. Good one, mate. Feel right, and you've got to be able to demonstrate it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, you just quickly, I, I've sort of gone from a, I was a product designer early in my career, and then I moved into marketing. I designed a range of bicycle helmets for a Spanish brand. Actually, I was flying all over the world, manufacturing them and selling them into different regions and all sorts. So then I moved into sales and marketing. Got a real love for sales and marketing, and they've done a whole lot of different stuff. But recently, I um, I've 
finished up everything that I was doing in that kind of design and display, a lot of like retail display business businesses over the last sort of five or six years. Um, so really leaning on that design, you know, I, I always come back to a design thinking methodology or a design thinking process, which um, I think relates very closely to all of these sort of things that we discuss, making sure that you're going into something pro like with the right intent, you understand it properly and then you design and you move through the, con you know, prototyping and concepts and, and testing and production from that, you know, real understanding. Um, but more recently, I've, I'm I've, one of the things that I do is work in um, research and research is a fascinating space because consumer research specifically. And, you know, it, there's just so much, there's so much that you can learn from the customer that, you know, that a lot of businesses don't, don't turn to, you know, they, they, they don't, they, tr they want to, they try and turn to it, you know, through scan data and things like, and learning from the data. But, you know, like, real conversations with consumers is such a valuable part of product development. You know, it's just a, no, it, it, it is, I suppose my only thing I'll say to that, as I mentioned earlier is people don't know what they don't know. And a lot of time yeah. it's like what, I think what Henry Ford said that if you had asked people what mode of transport they'd want, they would have said a faster horse, Yeah, you know, before he developed it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, because they weren't aware of what the alternative is. Clive, thank you so much, mate. It's been really fascinating. Yeah. I really appreciate your time and generosity to My share pleasure, everything you have. And, pleasure. Um, and thank you for reaching out. I, I really appreciate it. I, I've enjoyed listening to some of your podcasts. And so it's a real honor to be on them. Good one. Thanks, mate. Uh, and good uh, luck with, uh, with everything that you're trying to do at the moment and the markets you're trying to conquer. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Cheers, nice man. talking. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.